Hello and welcome to episode seven of Tax Talk Talks with Harrison Dell. In this episode, we're talking about the very, very exciting topic of the taxation of trusts. Aussies simply love their trusts, but very, very, very few people actually understand how a trust works, let alone how tax works on a trust. And you'll walk away knowing that there's a few very large unresolved issues in this space still. About me, I'm an Aussie tax lawyer. I specialize in all things tax and crypto, including some things outside of tax and crypto as well. Some more regular legal stuff, you could say. You can follow me on TikTok, at Harry Dell Tax Talk, Facebook or Instagram, Harry Dell Tax Law, or just follow me everywhere and subscribe here and um, all together. Just follow me everywhere. It will make me feel a lot better about myself. So diving into trusts, the basics first. What is a trust? And this question will be asked in undergraduate law degrees. It will be asked in um, accounting degrees in all sorts of places. People forget this. And uh, this is a very important thing to remember. A trust is not a thing. A trust is simply a relationship between three parties, the settlor, the trustee, and the beneficiaries. Really, the settlor just gets lost after we settle the trust. So practically, it's a relationship between a trustee who holds the legal title to property and beneficiaries who are entitled to the benefit of the property, but don't actually own it. They have a right to the benefit against the trustee. Now, in olden times, a trust would be uh, a more formal arrangement, it would be a, a, a person who would hold monies on trust, say for, for a child, or say for a disabled person, or say for someone who couldn't vote, couldn't hold land, which is women um, in those days, which is incredibly discriminatory, of course, but let's not go into that here. These days, a trust is run more with a corporate trustee. So a corporate trustee is simply a company that has, well, it should only have one role, and that is to administer the trust. It shouldn't be trading, it shouldn't be doing other stuff. It has one job to administer the trust and in most cases that corporate trustee is controlled by the beneficiaries. So you're probably thinking that a trust is a bit of an arbitrary relationship because the beneficiaries realistically control the company that is the trustee that holds stuff for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And I understand how that is um, certainly sounding a bit dodgy, but that is how it works and a company is considered a person at law. So we look at it as two different people doing different things. Now that obscure point is out of the way. We can get stuck in. So the basic of trust taxation is governed by Division 6 of the Income Tax Assessment Act 1936. This is an ancient set of rules. have been around for a very long time. All sorts of changes have happened, but fundamentally nothing has particularly changed. The main concept in these rules is about present entitlement. If you are presently entitled to trust income, that is the question we must ask. Um, I'm going to talk later about capital gains and frank distributions and special rules that talk about specific entitlement. But let's put that down for now. Let's talk about present entitlement. So the basic rule is that a beneficiary of a trust will pay tax on their share of net of the net income of the trust. Net income of the trust is the income calculated under the tax law and they'll pay their share and their share is calculated by what share of trust income did they receive. We've got two different concepts. We've got net income of the trust and we've got trust income. Now, trust income is income calculated for trust accounting purposes, which may be very different to trust taxable income. 
and often things like depreciation, using losses, capital gains, timing differences, all sorts of stuff can make these numbers not the same. In many trusts, you'll have what we call an income equalization clause, which will say the trust income is deemed to be the net income of the trust estate, putting those down because that's a whole can of worms itself. Those things happen. There's a few different ways that a trustee will cut it, but basically we need to figure out two things. What is the taxable income of the trust? And what is the income for trust purposes? And then the trustee will say, who is entitled to certain shares of trust income under trust law? They'll say, you are entitled to $100, you are entitled to $300, and this other person is entitled to the remainder. That's quite a common way to do it. And this is the present entitlement. You'll make someone presently entitled. And say the trust income is $1,000, but the trust only had $100 of income for trust purposes. It will say, you, the listener, are entitled to $40, 40% of the income of the trust you are entitled to this year. Therefore, you will be presently entitled to that. Therefore, you will pay tax on 40% of the trust taxable income for the year, which will be $400. And it's very common for there to be um, individuals paying more than what they actually receive from the trust. It's just one of the nuances of, of this section and this division make it quite difficult um, to get things to line up well. You've got competing concepts. And it wasn't even until 2012 that we actually figured out that it was a percentage-based system and not a um, quantum-based system. And that was in a case called Bamford, which again would be a whole podcast in itself. So does that make sense? because I really hope so, it really gets worse from here. I'm warning you now. So we need to talk about different kinds of trusts. So we've got a unit trust or a fixed trust, which basically don't have a discretion of where trust income or capital will go. Often those deeds will say automatically at 30 June, the unit holders are entitled to um, the income of the trust and, and leave it at that. A discretionary trust, which is very common in Australia, and sometimes called a family trust, which is a bit of a misnomer because a family trust has a specific definition under the tax law um, that is relevant for a few things, but we're not gonna talk about that today. A discretionary trust has full discretion where the trustee can determine where income and capital goes. And there's a third category that we kind of call a hybrid trust. And you don't see hybrid trusts that often, but they come as a bit of a mix between a unit trust and a discretionary trust, or they can have all sorts of strange features, uh, which we call the hybridity, which I've always thought was a really fucking cool word. So there's lots of different forms. For example, you could have a fixed income where someone is entitled to all the income. However, the capital is discretionary. You could have that some of the income is fixed up to a certain level, the remainder is discretionary, and capital goes back to certain people. It can be cut in any way you want. The complexity that you can do in equity is really infinite. Now let's return back to the tax law. So I mentioned before about specific entitlement and specific entitlement is relevant for capital gains that a trust will make and frank dividends. And the way these are treated are basically identical in most respects, apart from them, they are you know different kinds of amounts. This basically arose after the Bamford case where um, it was discovered that you can't really stream amounts. And it may, actually, it may not have actually been Bamford, it may have been a different case. 
But well, they put in these special rules in 2012 or so, which were supposed to be temporary. Now we're coming to the 10th anniversary of these rules and we still have them. And there has not been a government brave enough to rewrite the taxation of trusts because it's just an absolute hotpot in this country. Anyway, back to the tax. The streaming of capital gains and front dividends is required for that beneficiary to claim respectively the 50% CGT discount if they're eligible and the franking credits. And these specific entitlement streaming rules are the only way for those to flow through. Otherwise, those would get stuck in the trust and you'll be talking about present entitlement only, which is what we used to do. So a trust's capital gains and frank distributions can, if the trust deed allows them to be, be streamed to specific beneficiaries for tax purposes. And this is called specific entitlement. If you are specifically entitled to a capital gain, for instance, you may be eligible for the 50% CGT discount. The rules are quite mechanical, but technically what happens is they will deem that another capital gain has arisen at this point in time, which has got the same characteristics as the previous gain that resulted in the gain for the trust. And then you take it from there. And there was a recent case on this topic that concerned foreign tax residents. So foreign residents are not eligible for the 50% CGT discount. However, they are eligible for a pro rata discount based on a number of factors. Um, there was a change in the law at a certain point. Gains before then were, were still discount. The case is called Greensill. And Mr. Greensill, who I'm sure many of you have heard of through other things, and it's the same one who runs Greensill Capital and was in the news quite a lot. He lived in Monaco, I believe. He received a capital gain from his trust. I believe it was in the hundreds of millions. And he claimed the 50% CGT discount. A whole range of rules applied, including something called Division 855, which I'll cover in another one. But basically it said that because he was a foreign resident and the way these rules work is they deem another capital gain has happened. It's just a new capital gain. You don't get any pro rata because it's a deemed new thing. So that, that all fell over for Mr. Greensill. He's got big problems and, and taxes are simply one of them. There was another case that was identical to called N and M Martin. Um, if you want to look into that in more detail, it's pretty, uh, pretty granular stuff. It's pretty in the weeds tax stuff, if I might say. So specific entitlement, returning to this, it's very different to present entitlement. It's a separate concept. It's a separate idea. It's uh, not linked to trust law at all. Specific entitlement is a creature of the tax law, whereas present entitlement is a bit closer to equity itself. And I'm sure there are some equity lawyers who are screaming at me right now through their phones, but present entitlement is quite an ancient concept in terms of tax. It's, it's getting to 90 years old. Um, but specific entitlement is only about 10 years old. So it's a more recent invention. And it's very possible, in fact, it's very common for a trust to have division six income, which it will make someone specifically entitled to, or sorry, it has division six income, which it will make beneficiaries presently entitled to. And it can also stream capital gains and frank dividends under the specific entitlement rules. Really important tip, if you've got an old trustee, and you have never updated it, you may not ha actually have given the trustee powers to account for income in different ways and stream them to beneficiaries, which causes you some problems. Anyway, moving on. There are lots and lots and lots of traps with your trust. 
And let me go through a few low-hanging fruit, we'll call them. Number one, using a discretionary trust to hold real property isn't always the best way to go. And the problem with this is mostly related to land tax. So in most states, individuals um, will have what we call a land tax threshold. So only land holdings valued at over the threshold you'll pay land tax on. In New South Wales, where I am, it's 792000 So if you own an investment property that's worth less than 792000 you shouldn't be paying any land tax if you own it in your own name and don't have any other property excluding your main residence. However, a discretionary trust does not get a land tax threshold, which is why many people get a rude surprise. 792000 worth of land comes down to about, I think it's about $8,000 a year. My maths is wrong, um, but it's quite a lot of money that you'd be paying extra to have it in a discretionary trust. And it's unlikely if you've just got a couple of investment properties that there is a income splitting benefit that you can get. So you may actually be better off owning them in your own name or owning them in a fixed trust. A fixed trust must be fixed in a special way to be fixed for land tax purposes. But then if you go, this person has a fixed entitlement then you can use their land tax threshold. I see this question come up a lot. Uh, property investors thinking trusts are the way to go and then getting a rude shock when they get a land tax bill at the end of December. So if you're buying your first investment properties, don't just jump straight for the trust, get a bit of advice first. Number two, there were some special rules that came in. Uh, I believe it was the end of 2020, it became into effect, but it had been announced for some time. Basically, if you had a discretionary trust, you needed to include a special and irrevocable exclusion of foreign persons from benefiting under the trust if it owned land. Because if you didn't, you would have to pay an additional 2% land tax surcharge, and you may even be up for transfer duty, additional transfer duty, which was actually a retrospective change, I think to 2016 or 2017, it was, pretty monstrous. And there's a good reason we don't normally have retrospective tax laws, but the government announced this and sat on its hands for a very long time. And um, now this came about. There are still trusts out there that own land that have not been amended to exclude foreign persons, even though they should. And those people are going to get a very, very rude shock end of this year. I have seen people owe hundreds of thousands of dollars. There is no exemption. There is no concession. You gotta just amend your deed. So if you have that problem, come talk to me. Number three, here's a funny one. To do with hybrid trusts and any non-family trust that is discretionary, that owns companies, you need to be extremely careful here because unless it's done just right, the franking credits that flow through the trust may actually be lost and the beneficiaries can't claim them. This is the result of a very special rule. It's called Section 207-145, which says you need to be a prescribed person for uh, franking credits to flow through. And it refers, interestingly enough, and you can wheel out this one at parties, it refers to a repealed regime called Part 3AA of the Income Tax Assessment Act 36, which has been repealed for some time. So we've got this legal dilemma where um, we have law that's actually pointing to and defined by another bit of law, which is no longer effective 
yet we all still follow it because no one's game enough to challenge the ATO on this issue. So if you've had a 207-145 issue come up and you want to sue the ATO, you want to go to court, um, you let me know because I'll certainly have a lot of fun with that one. But this is why we don't run we don't run hybrid trusts owning companies. We'll either run a family trust that has a valid family trust election because that is a prescribed person or we'll have a very carefully drafted unit trust if we need to. And that does come up in um, property development scenarios where you have companies doing stuff. All in all, if you can take one thing away from this is trusts are really hard. And there are lots and lots of lawyers out there who specialize in trusts. I specialize in them somewhat. Um, and especially tax issues for trusts are extremely complicated. And if you're gonna do anything even remotely fancy and you've got some doubts, you need these super specialist advice, which I can mostly give. There are some equity issues that sometimes we need to get the uh, the fancy people, um, barristers and things to go to court and things like that. But in most cases, if it's a family trust, if it's a um, you know business sort of entity, that's it's, it falls into the realm of tax lawyers and we need to sort it out. So if you do have a tax issue, you come see me. If you've got an equity issue, such as your trust doesn't have a valid amendment power, you may need to see my other favorite podcaster, Mr. James Dapperchie from Coffee and a Case Note, also at my firm, because I believe he knows his way around a trustee or two, and also a bit around the courtroom too. Anyway, tax stockers, thanks for listening. Follow me wherever, please. Ask me questions on TikTok, I'm responsive. And uh, until next time, stay well.